Sometimes, the best stories in golf aren't found on tour. You'll find them at the back of the range. And here's your host, Ben Adelberg. And welcome to the back of the range. I am your host, Ben Adelberg. This is episode 154. My guest on this episode, which can be called an exclusive to the back of the range, is the United States Amateur Champion, Tyler Strafacci. The last time I saw Tyler was in the grill room at the Band of Dunes Clubhouse. He had the Havemeyer Trophy sitting all by itself on a nearby table while he and his family had dinner and drinks, and I was getting ready to head out to Eugene for a three-hour drive so I could catch my flight home to South Florida. My guess is that Tyler didn't get much sleep that night, and neither did I, but I think that his night was much more fun than mine. That being said, Tyler and I had a great conversation about the U.S. Ambitor, but also some highlights from his summer that undoubtedly led to his victory. For those of you that don't remember, he had already won two prestigious Ambitor events before ever reaching Bandon Dunes. So I asked him about his summer, what he did to prepare during the COVID lockdown, and we also looked ahead to what is in store for him in the next 12 months. Before we get to this episode, I really can't thank the Strafacci family enough for the all-access pass during the entire week at the U.S. Amateur. They were always accommodating, incredibly genuine, and I think you are really going to hear that when you listen to this episode with Tyler. So I promise I will get you some of my thoughts and reactions from the U.S. Amateur and my experience in Band of Dunes, but let's get right to this episode with the United States Amateur Champion, Tyler Strafacci. Tyler, how are you? Good. How are you doing? This well, is awesome. Uh, we're we're both uh, we're both dealing with the same kind of uh, jet lag and getting back to normalcy as best as we can. Uh, I came back to a day job and 300 emails. You came back with the Havamar Trophy, so you're winning right now. Um, <laughs> I think the last time we saw each other was Sunday night, uh, what, you know, at Bandon Dunes with that trophy in your hands. And when we were trying to schedule this. Um, you know, we were kind of joking. I don't know what your 48 hours is going to look like. So um, <laughs> tell me what your 48 hours have looked like since uh, since picking up uh, the U.S. Amateur Championship. Yeah. So, I mean, it's I mean, it's been crazy now. I'm uh, pretty spent from just all the emotions and whatnot. But the when I got done with the tournament, pretty much we me and my family went inside and we had some drinks with the USGA officials and kind of thanked them for all their support. And it was just kind of cool to just celebrate with um, the tournament committee. Um, they'd done such a great job that week and they've been so welcoming to our family that whole time. And it was just cool to kind of just relax and celebrate something pretty, pretty cool and historical with such a great organization. And then pretty much on Monday night, I just hung out with my family. Um, they've been my rock since the beginning. Um, and I mean, you met them at, they're, yeah. they're, they're awesome. Trent's, Trent's the coolest brother ever. He's my, one of my, he's probably my biggest supporter. He's always my biggest fan. And both my parents are just the best. They have always given me everything I've needed to, to succeed. And they've trusted me and they've given me room. And um, just to share that whole night with them and just, they all took pictures with the Havemeyer for the first time and, that thing in my dad's hand was oh. he would never let go of it um <laughs> he's been wanting to 
touched that thing since he was a kid and listening to his father talk about that tournament. Sure. Um, so it, it was cool. That's something I'll probably never forget more than anything is just reminiscing with them about something we've been dreaming about talking about doing in the family for since I could ever remember starting golf. Yeah, it must be such a cool thing where you win this thing for yourself, but then when you step back, I mean, even as as you know as quickly as Sunday night, you step back and you realize, wow, this is not just for me. There are people that it, that it gets in their hands, and you realize just the magnitude of of that achievement. Yeah, it just shows that when you're out there, you're obviously playing for yourself, but how you play and how you act and who you are really has an impact on the people around you that love and love and care about you. Um, so it was just it was just a really cool moment to just get a very authentic kind of night with my family that I know I'll never forget and it definitely is something that me and my brother are gonna tell our kids about and it's gonna it's just amazing. I can't even describe it. Well, it's a great uh, a great achievement. I definitely want to ask you a couple things about the US amateur and uh, but before we do that, um, you know, People that may be watching the coverage on uh, on Golf Channel, uh, obviously they would they would hear the narrative about uh, about your family, about your grandfather who who won the uh, the U.S. Amateur Public Links back in '35, and obviously uh, you know won the North and South, which you uh, won earlier this summer as well. So you have two Strafacci's on that trophy now. But I, I kind of wanted to go back to something where. Uh, perhaps if someone doesn't know your playing career, doesn't know your achievements prior to the USAM, where they would think, how does this, how does this kid get through all these tough matches? How does he have the poise? But this is not the first big stage you've been on in a USGA championship. You qualified, got through sectionals at the 2018 US Open at Shinnecock. And this was a six for one playoff at the Bears Club down here in, in Palm Beach. A very difficult course. So, I, you know, a lot of people are going to say, well, how did you get through the USAM? And I'm guessing you drew on some of the experiences in getting through a six for one playoff into a US Open. And I'm guessing if someone was asking you right after that achievement, you'd be like, I don't know, this is a blur, just like people are doing now when you win the US Amateur. Um, what did you take out of that experience of getting into the US Open in 2018? Yeah, so I mean... I would say how you said about how does he do the, I mean, everything that you do up until that moment in time adds up. And if you do enough right things over a period of time, you have potential to having, having a really cool moment that you're going to remember for the rest of your life. Um, but yeah, I mean, playing in my first U S open when I was a teenager, um, that was my second professional event I'd played. I played in the Valspar before and yeah, that was my second one and it was it was unbelievable um you play the hardest major that's been played since probably the last time it was there um and you kind of just kind of get thrown into a whole whole deal about different style of golf and learning how to grind and make pars and again that stuff plays dividends when you play a tough course like band and dunes but like you're saying the six for one playoff that was <laughs> that was insane um i pretty much had a birdie every hole to get through uh and it was you that's one of those things you look back on when you're in that situation you kind of know that you can do it and kind of gives you a little extra confidence maybe you won't get through that next time but it'll just give you that little extra boost where you're better prepared for it than before you 
obviously everyone else that was playing collegiate sports, especially college golf, uh, you know, your season ended right, uh, right around early March. And I'm just looking at, at what you were kind of what your season was looking like in the spring. I mean, you had a nice finish in Hawaii and then, you know, a couple, uh, you know, low finishes, whether in Puerto Rico, I think it was a T65 and then Southern Highlands was really the last event you had. You had a T30 there. So really nothing happens as far as competitive golf between, March and July, and then you come firing out of the gates. You win the North South, then you win the Palmetto, and obviously what you did at the USAM. I'm just curious, and probably a lot of people are curious as well. What what the hell happened with you between March and July that that got you prepared to go on this incredible run? <laughs> yeah, I mean, again, it probably came to a surprise to came as a surprise to a lot of people. Um, but truth of the matter is, I. I worked my tail off in the quarantine period. Sure. Um, I was really upset about how the season ended. And it's kind of one of those things that my, you have those conversations with your parents and they have, it was just one of those great conversations that really they needed to have at that moment where they're like, you can, you can be upset and bitch and whine all you want, but if you don't get better from this, what, what does it matter? Right. You have to use this as a positive experience and, a lot of people are going to kind of get down on stuff and they're not going to work and they're going to go backwards. And you could be one of the select few that works harder than anyone and gets better. Um, and it was cool that I really did want to approach this whole thing of negativity and horrible stuff going on in this world that it's out of our control, but it's happening and treat it as a positive and try to elevate um, what's going on in my life moving forward and try to get a clear future path um after college so you you work with todd anderson who's your coach i know he was there uh, on site at bandon dunes um give me an idea if you can i mean maybe not an you know hour for hour breakdown of course but are there specific things that you identified that with with your coach that needed to get worked on between march and july are there things that you specifically targeted whether it's adding length, adding size, uh, you know, tightening up the short game. Tell me about your, your preparation during those months. Yeah. So I remember, I remember having a conversation, um, right after, I mean, this was back in December and I didn't really have enough time to work on it before season started. Um, but he pretty much told me and he told me right after college got canceled, we talked and whatnot. And he's like, if you can't get these certain things in your swing down, you're not going to be able to play on tour. You're going to be, you're going to have those good weeks and you're going to have some bad weeks, but you're not going to be that consistent where you can compete and win at the highest level. Right. And that kind of hit hard because, I mean, if you've ever met Todd, he's one of the more honest people. He's been around the best players in the world and he didn't sugarcoat it. He told me how it was. He wasn't poofing me up to being something that I wasn't. He was telling me who I was and what I needed to become. But he pretty much told me that I needed to get my arm playing up top was getting pretty steep and I was lifting and not turning. Um, so he pretty much, that's why I tuck my um, shirt underneath my arms. It kind of helps me turn a little better Right. on the way back. And I, I have this flaw in my downswing where I have a little bit of early extension um, where my butt kind of comes off a line at impact and I don't have as much space, but that's kind of one of those things that we've been working on and it's gotten better since we started, but it's one of those things I'm going to have to work on for the rest of my career. Okay. All right. So, um, so you get through these, these, um, I mean, you spend those months 
wisely, so to speak, as far as getting prepared to, to play North-South. And again, you, you win the North-South, you win the Palmetto, um, you know, you go play the Western, which you've had success in the past out there, but missed the cut this time. But now you're coming into Band of Dunes. I'm, you know, I, I spoke to basically some of the other uh, guys that, that won, uh, you know, I guess the four majors, so to speak, this summer, I guess, leading into the USAM, whether it's the North-South, the Sunny Hannah, the Western, and the Southern. So I'm guessing you're thinking yourself as as kind of a favorite coming into Band of Dunes. Yeah, I, uh, I had confidence. Um and usually my best golf comes when I have confidence, but I still feel like somewhat of an underdog. Okay. I'm kind of flying. I've played well in tournaments like the Palmetto when I came off a big win and everyone had expectations of me winning that tournament. I actually played well in that tournament. Um, but my best golf comes kind of after disappointments like the, the Western, cause I really wanted to win that one. Okay. Um, that's another tournament that's been close to my family for a while. Um, but have that disappointment. And I have, I don't know, a week or so to get back to Atlanta and work on stuff and get get really motivated again. Um, and just kind of went into it. I knew I was going to play well, but just kind of one of those things. I just kind of want to hang along and keep getting better every day. I didn't really have huge expectations of winning the tournament until I kind of started winning matches. I was like, man, I am playing pretty good. I can do this. Yeah. Um- it's such a unique U.S. Amateur. Obviously, no qualifiers. And, you know, for people that may not know what everyone had to go through, including myself, you have to do a pre-COVID test from your home or wherever you're starting your travels from. Then once you get there, you have to COVID test. And you can't get access early access to the golf course. You need to kind of stay quarantined or stay away from banded dunes, banded trails, the, the, the tournament sites, so to speak. So... How did you spend the time from when you arrived to when you actually got to get on these golf courses and properly prepare? I know that some people maybe went to the little par three course or maybe they went to the range, um, but but really you couldn't get full access to the tournament site until, I believe, Saturday. So how did you kind of keep your head screwed on straight as where it's such a unique thing where you're like, I'm there, but I'm not able to do anything. Yeah. It's, no, it was it's the that, weirdest thing. Yeah, man. It's a, it was a very weird thing. Um, but they did it how they did, how they should have. Oh, absolutely. Um, make it a safe environment, but you get there and you're kind of just exhausted from the flight, but you're still nipping at the bit to go out there and to play and whatnot, but you can't, you have to take your test next morning. And I pretty much approach it. I'm I'm gonna get used to the grass. I'm gonna spend a lot of time putting, chipping, and uh, getting used to kind of the firmness of the ground, hitting shot full shots off of. And that's kind of where I geared. I got a lot of rest, and I put in two or three, four or five hour practice sessions before the two practice rounds, and I gained a lot of confidence from that. Um, and yeah, I mean, some people play different courses, but I, I told my dad, I just, I said, I need to get rest. I need to practice a lot and get used to breaks, greens, firmness, and stuff like that. Sure. Well, you start the tournament in stroke play, and, and I guess, I mean, you finish even par, and you come out of there with a um, with you know number 41 seed. Really kind of just two rounds, just kind of ho-hum kind of grinding. I mean, five birdies, five bogeys, really nothing that gets you into trouble and gets you through to match play. I guess going into match play, obviously you run through everyone, but 
did you feel as strong about your game? What, what were you kind of your immediate thoughts after playing just dudes and trails once? Yeah. So, I mean, after playing those courses, I liked them. I like courses where you can't really overpower them for se, but you kind of have to think around them and place it and whatnot. And I knew I was hitting the ball. Great. Um, that wasn't the question. I just really was struggling the whole week to get the speed of the greens. And I can't think that really showed in some of my matches where they were pretty close, but I just couldn't make those putts to get a lot of momentum. Um, but yeah, that, that I knew I was really hitting it solid and I just putting really messed with my head for probably the first five or six days. And my stroke got messed up <laughs> and I was stuff like that. But the last, the last day I really, I tried to get back to kind of what I've been doing on my putting and forget about making putts, but rather just, just simplifying things. Um, and getting back to the stuff that worked with the North South, because honestly, if I did not putt really good, I wouldn't have beat Ollie. Cause I mean, Ollie played fantastic. Um, and I had to pull out every string to, to beat him. Cause he's, he was a great player, great gentleman, just awesome kid to be around. Yeah. You, um, you got through that first match against Kelly Chin. I mean, he won tournament of champions, AJGA. You got through that match pretty quickly. Did not have to play the 18th hole. And the 18th <laughs> hole and you uh, have a um, very interesting relationship because it really went to, uh, I mean, all different types of things happened. Obviously, there's a lot of, lot of coverage over the, the ruling uh, against uh, Segundo with uh, his caddy uh, testing the sand. And then you had... Um, I know you had a, a before that match, you, you beat uh, Julian Perico, great player out of Arkansas. And then we get to Stu hitting driver off the deck into the hazard. And then we got Gupta leaving two in the bunker and three matches in a row where, you know, essentially, you know, your, your opponent did something directly or indirectly in the match that, that it caused them to, uh, to lose. And, but in the final, and you know, not to jump ahead of everything, but in the final with the match tied, you hit this incredible four iron shot, which I think you said was one of the best shots of your life. Did you have to? I know you hit before Osborne. Yeah, he, he, you were away. So, yeah, I've been, I was hitting behind him all day. He's he was so long. So, were you thinking to yourself, like, okay, in previous matches, um, my opponent has done something to put them in a bad situation? Um, this is my opportunity to actually step up and, and win this hole outright. Did you have any thoughts of that going into 18? To be honest, no. And I'll, I'll tell you in the other ones, I got fortunate, but each one I had a, I had a birdie putt inside. Oh yeah. You were not out yeah. of the holes. I'm just illustrating. That no, there were I, yeah. I see, I see what you're saying, but I had confidence from that to where I played it under the circumstances, how I wanted to. Right. Um, but this one, I, I just had a good feeling. It was, I'll never forget stepping behind that forearm and just visualizing the shot. And it was just a, just a cool moment of nerves and ex of excitement that I, I could never explain. Cause it was just, just so cool at that moment. Um, but yeah, I mean, I really wanted to hit a good shot cause I knew if it went with all his momentum, if I didn't cut it quick and we got to extras, I'd have a tough time beating him. But, I felt like I was still playing good, and um, if I could put something relatively close, it would force him to do something special, um, and I did, and he, he didn't hit the greatest shot, but he was still in a relatively good position to make birdie, but 
um, yeah, it was, it was just cool to kind of put the pressure on someone in match play. And that's again, a shot I'll never forget. Yeah. In the, uh, in the quarters, you play Hagestad and you win on 18. And as, as we've said, it's just a very unique U S amateur. And one of the more interesting aspects was, uh, everyone kind of was eating their meals in the same area, that same restaurant, just right in the center of the band of dunes, uh, clubhouse and you'd see guys just eating their meals where you know maybe like a table away from a guy that either beat them or they they were able to beat and i think one of the more interesting things i've noticed that entire week was you beat Stu one up and then about a half hour later it's you and your parents it's Stu and his parents and then oh yeah that guy that was hanging around all week captain nathaniel crosby of the walker cup team (laughs) and that was just one of the more crueler things. And I was kind of peeking my head in, just trying to just see if I can get a vibe on what that was like. But I'm guessing the conversations there were kind of lighthearted, but I, I can't imagine that Stu or Captain Crosby didn't give you some words of advice about moving forward. I've known Stu probably for the better part of three or four years. And I mean, he's one of those guys that I've always looked up to. Um, he's just such a classy human being. And after that match, I'll never forget on 18, he hit in the hazard and he just handled it great. He came up to me and he gave me a big hug and he said, you did it, buddy. Couldn't be more proud of you. And he looked at my mom and said, it's a shame I had to play one of my closest friends on the 18th green um, because he's such a good kid. And stuff like that, I mean, for someone after a disappointment like that, because you knew no Stu's probably one of the bigger competitors you'll ever meet. Oh, yeah. For him to finish that moment and say that stuff was um, really cool. Um, and I was doing a couple interviews after, and he kind of gave me one of those drink signs. I was like, yeah, I'll be there. Um, <laughs> so we went into the bar with my family, and they we'd gotten some drinks and whatnot. Um, and we were just talking, just telling stories. And we were talking about a round because, man, that was a, that was a hell of a match. Oh, just, yeah great golf from both sides he was he was clutched the whole time um and just reminiscing on shots and i kind of was picking his mind about some walker cup stuff he was sharing some stories to captain um and i started kind of sticking my nose in probably when i shouldn't have because i still wasn't in the walker cup sure sure just being cocky and whatnot and trying to figure out some stuff um but yeah they i mean Captain Crosby was saying some funny Walker Cup stories that I was bawling my eyes out laughing. And Stu was just being Stu, just telling Stu stories, which we loved. And <laughs> he actually uh, called me the day after I won, gave it a day. And he was so genuinely happy for me. And it was, it was really cool to see. And he was with his family and his family had a nice victory toast to us. And, we talked we talked to their family probably for 15 or 20 minutes they're they're just such great people yeah yeah no that was that was one of the more interesting things i noticed i thought that's that was really cool to, to you don't see that at, at hardly any level you know normally you, you trunk slam and you get out of there and um you know the the situation with uh, how the u.s amateur was set up kind of provided a, a pretty special moment yeah he he carries the he carries amateur golf in a way that's very inspirable he he really represents all of us very well. Let's do. 
Well, he uh, he listens to this podcast, so uh, so I'm, I'm. Oh, he does. Oh yeah. Oh oh gosh, I, I get. <laughs> hey, I, <Steph. laughs> I, I yes, <laughs> I get text messages like, "All right, I like that episode." Oh yeah, he's he's like the Siskel and Ebert of uh, the back of the range. So um, <laughs> yeah, he's he's a he's a critic and a fan. But um, I wanted to ask. I've always thought that, and I could be wrong, but tell me, is the semifinal match of the U.S. Amateur maybe the toughest match in all of amateur golf? Yeah, I would say so. I mean, the thing is, it's the toughest match you face to that point. Um, of course. And then you get to the championship match where there's – being a competitor and wanting to win, um, You ha- it. there's obviously more in line because you want your name engraved on that trophy. But once you kind of get to that, you're playing on, like, house money, it right. feels like. Right, you're, yeah. you, you You're just freed up. You know you're the – I mean, for me, being a senior, kind of with amateur golf kind of closing in and kind of being done and having a little bit of college left, you know it was huge because you have those opportunities after college. Um, So you're kind of freed up and you're just excited to play. And that was one of the things I told Ollie um, on the first tee. I said, "Let's, let's just play the best rounds of our life and just have a blast out there. And we did. I mean, it was two guys playing the best golf of their lives and it's pretty cool to see but the semifinal match yeah it's nerve-wracking i i almost crapped my pants the last five holes <laughs> i i had to check my shorts at the end of the round because it, it got bad i saw your your post round after the semis and your post round after the finals and you really looked like a wreck after the semis um i think you, that one hit you more emotionally than actually winning unless yeah. you just held it okay because it looked like that that one was just um well I'll tell you what, Ben, that was that was really tough because I had that four up lead and I thought I had him on beat. Um right. and I was get I, I got ahead of myself. Um and that was a very immature thing for me to do and something I learned from, from this for the second match. Um but Amon played great in the last four and he brought it back and I got really down on myself and I was saying some negative talk about myself to my dad kind of after the 17th hole, which I never do. You know, you know me, I'm very positive and that, uh, that didn't, it upset my father. And he's like, he kind of low key got in my face a little bit and told me to stop bitching and whining. He said, (laughs) go win this hole. And you know, my dad, he's no nonsense. He, he tells you how it is. Um, and I flipped, I flipped my emotions around right then. And I, I knew I had to play a perfect golf hole to, to have a chance against him on and I got myself in that thing. And after, after the match, I just, I just melted down. Cause I, I, it took everything I had to change, change the negativity I had. Cause that's something that's, that's cancerous to you. Sure. In a round of golf. Um, so I think that's why it hit me harder. I was definitely happier, hundred percent happier after the finals, but I was just so relieved and, I thought something that I felt like I had was getting taken away and then I got it back again. Um, so I think that's kind of why it was probably a little more emotional just because it took probably a little more fortitude during that match to get it done. Now, after the trophy presentation, you went inside the clubhouse at Bandon Dunes. I actually ran into your father and I was able to get a quick interview out of him. I want to play a clip of that and, uh, ask you something after so let's go ahead and listen to these comments made by your father and caddy 
Frank Strafacci Jr. The, the, the things that I, I tried to get him to do, and he's, he's, you know, again, he's 22 years old, but he's, you know, he's 40 years old. Okay. He's got, a, he's, got a, he's got some experience. He's got, uh, you know, he's got, a, you know, a, he's tough. He's tough. Uh, he's a really good kid, but he's tough. He's got some hard edges to him from the standpoint that he, you know, he's kind of built for this. Mm-hmm. Uh, he gets ahead of himself. Uh, so that's usually what I try to do. I just try to get him to just stay in the moment. And uh, he spent uh, uh, last night with Todd Anderson. He was out here after he played uh, on the putting green talking to Todd for about a half hour. And, and, you know, I overheard the conversation, and Todd was basically just telling him, just, you know, just talk things through. He got a little ahead of himself, and got, he got angry at himself. He lost a hole in the morning, uh, the uh, – the, the, the eighth hole, you know, the seventh hole carried over to the eighth hole. Uh, seven, he hits driver, and he shouldn't have hit driver. Should hit three wood. Hits it down to the bottom as a really hard shot, and I thought hit a really good shot and spins off the green. He loses that hole, mm-hmm. and he didn't let it go. That's that's him. He's a perfectionist. Didn't let it go. Walk. He's he's walking to the next tee talking about it, and that's that's his biggest flaw. He's too much of a perfectionist. Uh, and uh, so that's generally what I try to get him to do. Just, just go out, take, you know, control the things that you can control. That's pretty cool. So you just listened to what he said. Tell me a little bit about what he means by you have these hard edges. I mean, one on a golf course, I can, I can be, when I'm in my own mind, I can be some sort of an <laughs> asshole. Um, I mean, I'm not going to lie. I can, Perfect. I'll, uh. I'll, I'll like say stuff to my dad where if he wasn't Italian, I, he'd he'd probably walk off my bag. But he'll he'll say something back to me with some profanity that that'll get me fired up. And he's he's a good mix for me. But that I'm I'm a very quiet person during tournaments. Um, okay. I don't really talk to anyone. I'm I'm kind of shut out from stuff a little bit. Um, kind of I don't really talk to my friends during tournaments. I'm just really in the moment. But yeah, what he's what he was saying about kind of carrying on that that is my biggest flaw. Um, I I have this envisionment of playing rounds of golf and having I wouldn't say like if I don't hit it there I get pissed, but it's more if I don't do what I mentally say I'm gonna do throughout the round. Like my whole thing was during that championship match and probably why I was a little slow and whatnot was my dad just made sure I kind of slowed down and talk because I, I didn't want to talk through shots from the whole tournament. Um, but he, he's really made sure on the last day that I talked through and I, I made on promise. Um, I said, every single shot I'm going to hit during this championship match, I'm going to hit like it's the shot of my life. Um, and it's the last shot I'm ever going to hit. Even if it was a two footer, I was grinding that sucker to death. I was, I was so friggin' exhausted at the end of that round. Oh, I bet. I bet. Um, uh- but yeah, I just it. I got pissed at myself on seven and eight because I wanted. A, I knew. I you just know that shot from down there is just really tough. And I, I hit a great drive and I got it got down there and I was like, that is not what I wanted to do at the beginning of this day. And I just, I just got just upset with myself and then carried over to eight. I had a bad first putt and yada yada yada. Sure. And then he snapped me back in it. Um, but 
but stuff like that, I, I just want to play the game the right way and not get ahead of myself when I do. I, I beat myself up pretty good. And that's probably my biggest flaw is I get ahead of myself and I beat myself up probably when I shouldn't. And that's that's something I'm gonna learn throughout the years. I'm probably gonna I'm probably gonna get humbled out over the next year with certain stuff and it just that's what happens. You go through ups and downs and you just never know when it's gonna hit you and you just you just deal with it as it comes and you just keep growing as a person, a family member and a golfer and stuff like that. Yeah. Part of the conversation with the U.S. Amateur was really the weather and the wind. And then fortunately for this finals, it really kind of laid down. So you get to the finals against uh, against Ollie, and you guys just get off to this boat race in the morning in the first session where I actually thought you shot 60 as a four ball. And I looked it up again today. You guys shot 59 as a four ball in the morning session of the U.S. Yeah. Amateur. And, you know, he was seven under through 12 and five up. And then you bring it back where you're only down one after the 18. Did you have any idea that it was going to look like that in those first 18 holes? No, I had no idea what to expect. I mean, again, we were so new to that circumstance, both of us. We were in just uncharted territory for the both of us. So we had kind of no idea. We didn't know if we'd both be nervous or we'd both play the best golf of our lives or something in between. Um but you knew he was built for that moment when he steps up on one, two, and three, and he has the most stress-free birdies you've ever seen. <laughs> um, and it was it was cool to watch. From me being a golf fan, I I was excited to see it because you kind of just knew that this match had something about it that it just was gonna be a really cool cool match. Um, and we kind of get through the first nine. I I had it to. Two, I don't know what the match is. All I know, I, I was stepping off 12 and I was five down. I still felt really calm. I was playing great golf. Yeah. You guys, I just, were, I, just yeah. I, I just wasn't making any putts. Um, and I would say the only difference between, I would say, I would say almost that Ollie hit it better in the last 20 something holes and just didn't putt nearly as good. Um, but I, I hit it a little better, and I started making the putts that he was making earlier. And then he started making putts at the end, and then it got tight. And it was like, oh, my gosh, <laughs> this is – we're both stepping stepping down 18. And it was the coolest thing because, like, if you take yourself out of the moment then, or you're, you're still – if you t- put yourself in that moment and you realize that, holy sh**, we're – we're two players we've dreamed of this moment for our whole lives and we're even going to the last hole at the u.s amateur and probably the i mean what had to be one of the more exciting tournaments of the u.s amateur has been with all the birdies and stuff i mean it was just we were both tied playing the best golf of our lives and it was just who's gonna go get it who wants it more um kind of one of those feels and it was so cool um I think I think I look back at him and I think I told him this is this is so special. We should just be happy that we're here. And I was I was so excited for just everything during that moment. Um, even after losing those two holes, I was I was still just on cloud nine. I mean, this, it was the coolest thing being a golf fan, being a part of history. Uh, you just I'm I'm still speechless right now because I don't know if I'm going to be able to. It was just so in the moment. I don't know if I'm going to be able to tell my kids about it because, like, I don't even remember half the stuff because it was just so in the moment and so cool that I wish I could. But 
uh, it's just, it's awesome. I, again, it's awesome. So your match was the most watched cable telecast at the U.S. Amateur since a 1999 quarterfinal on ESPN. No way. Yep. Yep. So, um, and a lot of a lot of it is because obviously East Coast prime time, uh, abandoned dunes, a lot of factors. But the match, I mean, the match lived up to everything else surrounding it. So, uh, yeah, I mean, again, Ben, I was, I'm oh. glad you, I'm glad you were a part of it because you, again, you made the week special. It was cool to have you there and kind of talk to you and stuff like that. And that that was just such a cool moment. Uh, and I'm glad that the viewership of it was up and I hope it helps USJ out a lot with entries and stuff in the end next year. Cause it should, I mean, that, that tournament has changed my life forever. Um, and I'll forever be thankful for that. Cause I mean, this time last year I was watching Andy win the USAM and Oh, we're going to, Oh, we're going to talk about Andy. Don't you worry. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to take care of him real quick. We'll do that right now. Um, when you were, uh, you know, playing your golf there, uh, you know, in the final match, you were busy. You couldn't watch the telecast. And uh, Steve Burkowski from Golf Channel uh, brought in Andy uh, on, uh, I think it was Cisco WebEx or uh, uh, remote viewership. And you see this picture of Andy, and it looks like he's sitting in a college dorm room, which is, I'm guessing, the apartment you guys share. And in the background, oh, by the way, is his Havemeyer trophy. And the first thing I'm thinking about is, okay, you just spent last year living with the guy, and I thought Andy Ogletree was just this nice, mild-mannered guy, but he actually puts a Havemeyer in your apartment for you to stare at all year long. I mean, that, yeah. I mean, so I mean, he was—he <laughs> earned it. Um, oh yeah. I mean, the thing is, and I understand now when you what he went through and kind of he didn't have the best first two years in college. He had a lot of expectation of him coming in. I don't think he played as well as he wanted to. I mean, we were all thrilled with his play cause he was playing great. And he was, he's always been a great teammate and whatnot, but to see him grow into that person and win that golf tournament um, was so cool. And he deserved to flaunt that trophy around everywhere. Oh, and yeah. the funny thing is, he was flying around today and my boys just picked me up from the airport. And we went, we walked to Moe's from our apartments, like a, I don't know, maybe half a mile walk. And my buddy Luca actually brought the Havemeyer with him. And we literally walked down the streets of Atlanta with the Havemeyer trophy. It was pretty oh, cool. Oh my gosh. You Bunch get... of people taking pictures and stuff like that. It was awesome. Um, wow. So I, I know it, it was cool to have. And obviously I didn't really, wouldn't have preferred it that way just cause you know, I'm, pretty quiet about that stuff and, sure but at the moment it's it was pretty cool to kind of do that but again andy the coolest thing about andy ogletree is he won the usm and it was he did not change one bit personality wise how he treated people if anything he became a better human being which wow. is very very cool to say and I, i'm very lucky to call him a close friend because i know he will do He's one of those guys that'll do anything for you, which is kind of cool. Um, and to join that trophy, join his name on that trophy is—it's almost as cool to me as being on that trophy with anyone else, um, if not cooler. So yeah. I'm just glad to be on there with him. He's such a cool kid, nice kid, very genuine, and he's got the world ahead of him. 
one thing I was going to actually ask you about being around Andy for this year and seeing all that comes with being a U.S. Amateur champion. Now, his will be is a little different than yours. I mean, you're both going to get a spot on a Walker Cup team. I mean, he got it for 2019, but he was basically whisked away, basically almost directly from Pinehurst to a Pinehurst practice session and then off to Hoylake. You have a little time between the U.S. Amateur and the Walker Cup next year at Seminole. But what are some of the things that you saw he had to experience, manage, deal with? I mean, it's a great positive, but there's also, you know, he's not just another collegiate golfer anymore. Um, what are some of the things that you saw that maybe you're going to have to keep an eye out for as you manage the next, uh, you know, year of playing at Georgia Tech? We're at his level. You start getting critics um, and people that talk somewhat negatively about you and, you realize once people are starting neg- starting to talk negatively about you, you've made it, um, and you're in a really good spot. So I would think see, think that w- that would be one of the things that you kind of expect, sure. um, which was which is so new. I mean, I've always been kind of a nobody in golf, and <laughs> not anymore. Um, Sorry, that's not done. Anymore. Well, th- it's just weird. You know what I mean? It's just yeah. like I've never I've never thought of kind of. Um, being and I've thought about it but I've never put myself in that position to where like I know what it's like so it's just so new to me um but he obviously you have a lot more expectation on you from people um a lot more people start caring about you and he's really done a great job of sticking with his core group of people that he loves and cares about he he's just a very mature human being with how he handles that and it's definitely something I'm going to be talking to him about because, I mean, there couldn't have been a person that's handled the last 12 months better than he has. So yeah. I'm definitely going to be talking to him a lot about it. Well, I uh, I will get you out of here on this one. You had uh, you, you had your dad on the bag the entire week. I know he was on the bag for you at the North-South. Um, give me a good Frank Strafacci Jr. story from this week at the U.S. Amateur that maybe. Maybe we didn't see. Maybe something in between rounds. Um, I'm sure there's got to be just one that, whether it's on the golf course, whether you're saying, hey, you know, Dad, back off, I got this, or or some of those lighthearted moments. Uh, I'm sure there's yeah. got to be a good one. I mean, <laughs> we I mean, we both know it's a guy who knows more about golf than anyone. Sometimes that's not his downfall, but he loves chirping about it, and he loves kind of talking and, there's there were times in the mat every match where he was talking about strategy when one of the guys is about to hit and I look over at my dad I'm like shut up like I mean this is stuff that like I'm lucky to have you on the bag why would we share it with someone um and he's talking he's like oh okay I'll be quiet so one of those <laughs> so we step up on the 14th hole this week and I think I told you a story earlier but so it was foggy no one could see anything um, and that was one of the tough things. You had to pick a line. It took a good bit of time to kind of, once you found that you had to commit to it and you couldn't see literally 150 yards ahead of you and you couldn't see the green on 14. We knew it was reachable and Ollie was talking with his dad and we were kind of both in the same area and my dad starts talking about the line and I'm like, dad, shut up. He's like, I think it's over like the, you know, the center. I said, dad stop and i think ollie looked at me and gave me a smirk because he knew i was trying to not tell him where the line was sure um 
Ollie just I I knew off the bat where because I I knew they're going to play that hole up throughout the week and I kind of had glimpsed where the pin was and the green was because the tee was at a different angle than we played all week so it was, the green was in a different spot right um so I knew exactly where the pin or the green was well, I you, just had that feeling you probably looked and saw the pin as you're walking down thirteen the par five weren't you. You couldn't see that. Oh, that's right. It was tucked. It was it was tucked. Well, that's no. Right. The thing is, you couldn't see that close, or you couldn't with the fog oh, and all okay. that. Okay, you, you couldn't could, see it. You okay. couldn't even see it. Um, and we played it there earlier, but the thing is, you couldn't pick up that angle from where it was. It's a it's not a blind shot. You can. I actually walked with Robbie Zonic the day after, and you could see the pin from the tee. It wasn't blind. Um, so he was talking. I said, Dad, just come on, just be quiet for one second. Kind of one of those things. He's got a big Italian mouth on, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> and Ollie hits a – he rips a three-wood, and you can tell it's very similar to where he wanted to hit it. My dad actually said, great shot, Ollie. And uh-huh. I turn I turn to my dad, and I pretty much said that I'm going at the right edge of the right bunkers. And he looks at me, and he's like, what are you talking about? He said, you have to go. I said, Dad, trust me. So I hit this shot. And he immediately says a four right sign, uh-huh. just big old four right points way right. I I didn't like because I missed it and I just didn't clip it, which I'm glad I didn't. And I couldn't see the ball, so I'm like trying to. I'm looking down, trying to listen or something like that. And we're walking up, and you kind of hear subtle applause. And I look over at my dad, and I said, "Dad, you were 40 or 50 yards off on your line." And he's like, I know, bud, I know. <laughs> and that was that was pretty cool. Um, I but was, yeah, he, I was actually in. I was to the right of 14 Fairway when you hit that. So I I saw Ollie hit first. I didn't hear much, and then I saw you hit, and I saw the four right, and I'm looking down the right side, <laughs> and I don't see anything, and then I hear this applause, and I'm like, all right, well that's kind of odd. <laughs> I thought it was from something else because there's like a very faint applause. It was like, and you get up there and the ball's like six feet away. Yeah, and, like, and you run that in for eagle. And, and after Ollie gets up and down for a birdie, you run this thing in for eagle. And I'm like, well, this is really now we're now we're to the zoo because the fog is in and you can't see anything. I mean, I don't know what it looked like on TV, and I know I I know what it looked like when I was there because I was kind of got behind you guys to take some pictures and video and. You can't see. Uh, you can't no, see eighty yards. That's the one thing I would tell people watching on TV. It was just on that par three fifteenth. It literally you had. We were waiting to see where the flag was, and then once you kind of got a glimpse of it, then you can kind of do your work. Because, like, again, we've played the hole before, but you're literally looking into this cloud where you came and see where the green is, um, and it was just so. It was like that on 16. You're teeing off at the Pacific and you're hearing the waves crash, but you can't see a single thing of grass in front of you. Yep. Um, and it was so cool. It, we both wanted to – we even wanted to play in 17 where we barely could see our feet. I, um, was, I was behind Ben Kimball the, uh, uh, from the um, championship committee and, and Ollie. They were both waiting to start. Um, and, and that's one thing people should actually know. It's not that you guys were really slowed down a lot on the back nine when the fog rolled in. You guys were held up in some cases by USGA officials like, let's see what this fog does. So there were a couple little delays there. 
But yeah, I have a photo of those two uh, with their back. <laughs> and it's basically those guys just, that's all you see. Those two guys, and you cannot see 50 yards. Yeah, I'd love to get that photo from uh, you because I feel like that'd be really cool. I'm, I think I have one of you as well. I, I might have a, a couple pictures of you uh, from, from the U.S. Amateur. I think I can hook you up with a couple there. So, But uh, it was funny. He literally hit that golf shot. And within a second, he looks over at his dad, like, look, wondering where it went. It was like, <laughs> or something like that, because it went a little right, and it was still in the right center of the fairway. But he just, immediately after contact, he just could not see the ball. That has to be so horrifying. You're, you're tied or one down or whatever whatever it is. I mean, between, you know, 13 to 18, you guys are all within, you know, let's see. Yeah, you guys are... You guys are tied on the 31st hole, so that's uh, 14, 15, that's 13, 14, 15. Yeah, so the 13th hole, you're tied. After 13, you're tied. And then really one up, two up, and then, you know, comes back. But anyway, you're right around each other. That has to be absolutely horrifying. You work all week to get this final match, and you're stepping up with whether it's irons or driver or whatever, <laughs> and you can't see a damn thing. I mean, how do you, how do you hit that shot? Well, the funny – I mean – yeah, you, it's just you don't want it to end like that. And luckily, the fog really rolled out going into the 18th hole. Um, but the thing is, we were so zoned in, um, and we wanted to beat beat each other's asses so bad that we didn't care about some fog. You know, okay. it was it was more like for me, for me at least. Um, I I never thought they should have suspended um, on 17. It was getting pretty thick, but. Um, I don't, I don't think Ollie wanted to stop. I think we both just wanted to keep going. Um, even if it took a little more time kind of finding balls and stuff, we were just so in the moment. Um, and it was cool. Cause it was just, again, we were hitting great shots, great after great shot. And we knew where the ball was going. Um, right. we might not know where to hit it, but we knew where the ball was going once we kind of found a target. Um, so that was, it was cool. I don't think we either one of us wanted to stop just because it it was it's going to be cool to say that we both played our last four holes barely seeing anything. I um, think I think I was standing next to you as you were coming up to the thirteenth tee, and you made that was probably the first couple of holes where the fog became a, a factor. And I just remember you walking up to the tee box on thirteen, just saying, "This is so cool." And, <laughs> it was. I mean, it was unbelievable. Yeah. Well, I appreciate all the time. I know you're still trying to get acclimated with uh, your sleep schedule, and I know school's ramping up and, and trying to grasp what uh, what all this means being uh, the, the U.S. Amateur champion. So you've been great with your time, and um, yeah, a lot of you know a lot of great things coming up for you. Obviously, whether it's the U.S. Open and it's the Masters and obviously Walker Cup, but uh, that'll all come with due time. So go ahead and enjoy the fact that you are the uh, United States Amateur champion. And I'm glad uh, glad I got to share that with you uh, at Bandon Dunes, and I appreciate you stopping by the back of the range. Yeah, thanks for everything, man. You you really made this week special, and I'm looking forward to doing this again. And there you have it. Special thanks to the U.S. Amateur Champion Tyler Strafacci for joining me so quickly after his victory at Bandon Dunes. Don't forget, follow along on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Still lots of photos and videos to post from the championship. And you can imagine that there are going to be many future guests stopping by the back of the range that I was able to meet at Banda Dunes. But for now, have a great week. We'll see you again next time here at the back of the range.